I first read On the Beach when I was 21 or 22. I can pinpoint my age because I remember reading it in a high-rise flat on a rough estate in Mary Hill where I used to live, where we had no cooker and no washing machine. I lived there with my first love and so naturally being young and in love and thick. Having no cooker or washing machine didn't matter. But then you get older and craggier and more and more dead inside. And so things like adequate cooking and washing facilities matter more than a cool boyfriend. And so you get the hell out of there. But in those young, innocent days, before I cared about kitchen appliances over love, I read On the Beach and I sobbed and I sobbed. What a devastating book it was. But then I returned to it years and years later and I read it with dry eyes. Years later, of course, when I was older, harder and wiser, and when I cared about things like cookers. So, had my heart hardened? Had I become more miserable? Or had I simply learned more about nuclear war? And so my attitude to the book changed. Either way, on my second reading, there was no gush of tears and emotion. I even found bits of it a bit saccharine. And then I watched the film, which is what we're going to discuss today. And yes, it seemed to take all the bits of the book which were a bit cheesy and magnify them. The film stars Hollywood idols like Gregory Peck, Ava Gardner and Fred Astaire. And it's very low on devastation and horror. Plenty of sadness, yes, and regret and yearning, but no horror. I mean, come on, it's a novel and film about nuclear war and the end of the world. And yet, as far as I'm concerned, On the Beach, the film, covers it without any hint of horror. Certainly no call for sobbing on your scabby old Mary Hill couch. So why? On the Beach covers nuclear war in the Northern Hemisphere and the gradual seeping across the rest of the world, all of the Southern Hemisphere, of radiation, lethal fallout, which slowly kills everyone. So why doesn't it devastate in the way that Threads or the war game does? It can't just be because I'm now older, because as you all know, because I'm quite obsessed with it, I saw Threads as a toddler, and I'm just as stricken by that film now as I was back then as a three-year-old. So, what's the deal with On the Beach? Waltzing Matilda, taken from the film's trailer, because of course the story is set in Australia. So, what happened? In disaster situations and fictional wars and catastrophes, isn't it always supposed to be safe down under? 
We've actually looked at Australia in a previous episode of this podcast, looked at their civil defence advice in the Cold War, and we learned that their population were told to expect uh, in nuclear war that they'd suffer fallout maybe and economic dislocation, but blast and firestorm wasn't high on their list of Cold War worries because they didn't expect to be a target. They wouldn't be on the battlefield, as it were. And that's quite true in On the Beach. Australia is indeed safe from the nuclear war which has devastated the Northern Hemisphere. They are untouched by the war, by the blast waves and firestorms and blinding flashes. So let them go nuts up in the north. Australia's okay. Except they're not, because the war in the north was so devastating, so huge, that it has produced enough plumes of fallout that these clouds are able to streak and spread and drift horribly slowly all over the world. So, down in the sunny safety of Australia, our characters see other countries in the Southern Hemisphere die out one by one as the fallout drifts across them. Africa, South America, innocent places which had nothing to do with the filthy war in the North, gradually go silent. And the Australians know it's coming for them too. And there's nothing to be done about it. So Australia, like the rest of the Southern Hemisphere, has to simply wait for this invisible death to reach them. Of course, that's the unique horror of fallout. You can't run away from it. We've discussed that before in the podcast, how evacuation in Britain during the Cold War wouldn't have worked. Because fallout makes the countryside just as dangerous as the city. Those British wartime images of little scruffy nippers from the East End who are enjoying apples and fresh air for the first time, that's all meaningless in the Cold War because that fresh country air could soon be lethal. So our characters on the beach can do nothing but wait. That's Bomba snoring behind me. When I first began writing literary criticism for newspapers, I started with novels. And I always remember that my first attempt for The Herald was sent back by the editor, who asked why I'd criticised the book for not being a very good austerity novel. Here is one of the first novels from the austerity era, and he hasn't made a very good job of it, blah, blah, blah. And the editor quite rightly said, well, it's not really fair to criticise it for not being a good austerity novel because maybe the author hadn't intended it to be an austerity novel. I had read it as such, fine, but it's not fair to shove that onto the author and say you've not done that very well because he could say, well, that's not what I was trying to do. So I must bear that in mind now because I think I'm doing the same thing here with On the Beach. I am criticising it for not being as good as threads, for not being as realistic and merciless, when maybe that's not what the director intended. Maybe he wanted a film with a bit of 
romance, a film which was a bit misty-eyed. Maybe he wanted sentimental music and big handsome Gregory Peck clutching the beautiful Ava Gardner to his broad manly chest. In which case the film's a roaring success. I mustn't think less of it because it's not Threads. I must try and stop being so obsessed with Threads. But if we're holding Threads up as the greatest nuclear war film, which I certainly am, On the Beach differs hugely from it. On the Beach had the cheery and catchy song of Waltzy Matilda as its theme tune. Compare that with Threads, which has no music. God, even in the second half of Threads, it hardly has dialogue. The whole thing breaks down as society and civilization breaks down. And the handsome, gorgeous, glamorous stars of On the Beach, Gregory Peck, Eva Gardner, Fred Astaire, Anthony Perkins, big names of course, and when you look at the trailer on YouTube, you see those names up in lights as famous people in furs and diamonds attend the premiere. (laughs) Compare that to Threads, who took the opposite approach in their casting. They did not want famous names or recognisable faces. They went for unknown actors, all to add to the realism on screen. You couldn't really have a, a realistic depiction of nuclear war if you were sitting there going, oh look, that's Thing made from Coronation Street. Threads didn't want any big stars, it wanted relative unknowns. And there was nothing disgusting and horrifying in On the Beach. We're talking nuclear war here, come on. But we skim past anything unpleasant. And when death does come to Australia, our various characters lie down in bed and drift off to sleep, or in the case of Gregory Peck, a submarine commander, gets back in the submarine and they take off under the waves, heading back home to, to America, knowing they'll never get there, of course, and that America is gone. But at least those chaps on the submarine want to die out at sea, in service on their boat. So that's a heroic end, a romantic, sentimental end. We don't see anyone dying horribly. No one is bent over, retching and losing their hair and spitting their teeth out. We have our actors as handsome Hollywood idols to the very end. In fact, the whole film seems so old-fashioned and genteel that it's easy to forget it's actually from the nuclear age. Surely this is something from the golden age of Hollywood, the good old days. But no, it was made in 1959. It was made in the thermonuclear age. We tend to think of the hydrogen bomb as something horribly modern. But no, it was born back in the age of Fred Astaire. So I suppose we all have our own image of nuclear war. Our own individual cold war. Mine is in the technicolour of the anxious 1980s. But there were different eras of the Cold War with their own flavours and fears. And so there's more than one way to portray a nuclear war on screen or in a novel. You can go down the harsh route of realism, which is my favourite one. Or you can go for something more soft focus. Something filled with melancholy for a slowly dying world to the tune of Waltzing Matilda. Or you can look at the American film Testament or the American novel Alas Babylon, both of which take place away 
from the main theatre of war. Both are set in communities untouched by the blast and the fire and which focus on small town folk trying to keep things ticking over, trying to feed the family and bury their own dead when they know that no help is ever coming again. There's no loud horror in these films or books, just quiet despair and a horrible unease and dread that's always just glimpsed out of the corner of your eye. So I suppose I'm unfair to these films and novels which don't look directly into the fireball. I suppose I've been too rudely shaped by threads by seeing it at such an early age. So let's see what the critics made of the film version of On the Beach. Motion picture history is made as Stanley Kramer's production of On the Beach opens all over the world in unprecedented six-continent premieres and meets with unprecedented success as critics everywhere hail it as a motion picture milestone. New York Mayor Robert Wagner heads the glittering array of celebrities on hand to see the picture the New York Times calls the best picture of the year. Herald Tribune also calls it best picture of the year. London, Soviet Ambassador Malik arrives for On the Beach premiere and the London Standard proclaims Magnificent, a film that must not be missed. The New York Times were excited to announce that it was the first time a full-length American movie had received a premiere in Moscow. Perhaps the Russians were cool with hosting the premiere because the film, if I remember correctly, doesn't blame them, or anyone in particular, for starting the war. And there's no ranting and raving about commies or ruskies in the film. As we've said, it is instead filled with melancholy and regret and is not overly concerned with blame. Instead, the film is a sad shake of the head to all of foolish humanity. Although the New York Times suggests there might still have been a bit of frostiness amidst this warm cultural exchange, because they say the film will be shown in Moscow with Russian subtitles, which will be set in America. The paper says the Russians do not have the right to tamper with the subtitles of the film. The film's producer goes on to say that he hoped it would play a small part in easing the tensions of the Cold War by alerting people to the dangers of nuclear warfare. Of course, decades later, we heard the same thing when the American nuclear film The Day After was broadcast. And of course, Ronald Reagan himself was deeply affected by that. The New York Times also reports on a press conference which was held in Hollywood after the premiere. And the press conference, as well as having glamorous people like Gregory Peck there, also had lots of eminent people from the worlds of religion and science. When they were there to take questions about the film's importance and how it might be used in easing the Cold War or helping prevent any future outbreak of war. One member of the panel, a Mr Noel Baker, said if half of the nuclear weapons now in existence were to be used, the fate of humanity would be precisely as in On the Beach. A bishop who was there, Bishop Pike, said, Theologically speaking, this is a film about judgment. It used to be thought that God would end things. Now it looks as if we might do it, 
which would be something of a joke on God. We have no right to end our lives in this way. And a Dr Pauling on the panel said, Weapons have become so terrible that it has become completely irrational to talk of settling problems by war. But there remains the danger of destruction of the world by accident. The situation demands that we attack this problem by international discussions. The solution has to involve giving up war. And people wrote to the New York Times to praise the film. One person from Mount Vernon in New York saying, On the beach has struck sharply at a vulnerable spot of vested interests. Those who want the lunatic nuclear race to go on to its bitter end. I advise them to remember the point of the picture story. There is still time. Another letter from New York City ended with On the Beach and its producers are to be congratulated for a valiant and inspired enterprise in behalf of world peace. And when the London Times reviewed it, they ended the review with a very poignant uh, sentence. Here, the world ends neither with a bang nor a whimper, but with a slow, resigned sigh at its own criminal imbecility. There's also uh, a bit of a dig at Ava Gardner's acting. It says, Mr Peck, grave yet not without humour, is much more at home as Captain Towers than he was as Captain Ahab. And Miss Gardner acts in the positive sense of the word. Now, I found the sad and melancholy aspect of On the Beach to be one of its strengths. As I said, if you're not going to go for the gutsy realism of threads, then that seems like the best alternative approach. But when I dip into the newspaper archives, I found a review from the Coventry Evening Telegraph from April 1960, which didn't like the softly, softly approach. Their review says, But coming death in On the Beach has a calm clinical quality which I can't accept. Would there be no one lying in the streets? Would no one go mad with the strain? Mr Kramer, the director, I thought, has compromised a little bit. He has made death noble. But he would give his message more point if he showed us the fearful end in store for us, if it is not heeded. I suppose I can see the point of the Coventry Evening Telegraph review. They took exception to the fact that the death in On the Beach is very... Well, it's hidden from us. As I said earlier, the, the population of Australia are given suicide pills by the government so that they can have a peaceful, quiet death. You could retreat to your bedroom, I suppose, tuck yourself in and take the pill in there. There's no need to be roaring and raving in the streets. But wouldn't the film have been more powerful if we had seen that? By all means, roar and rave in the streets, smash some things up, go nuts, and then go home to bed and take your pill. It just did seem as though everyone was a bit too resigned to it. The one person who wasn't resigned to it was um, Anthony Perkins' wife, or Anthony Perkins' character's wife, who um, was very very cliched, hysterical female character who's, no, 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 what about the baby? All that kind of nonsense. And she would not accept that death was coming. So even when we do have someone who's rebelling against this nice, calm, quiet acceptance of a slow death, she does it in a 1950s, hysterical, silly female way. 
the 1950s girl who's hysterical and needs a big strong man in uniform to talk sense into her, which is exactly what happens. And so she ends up accepting her death nice and quietly beside her handsome husband in bed. I'm going to gather all these um, articles and reviews from the newspaper archives and I'll put them into a folder and add them to my private Facebook group, which is for uh, those who support my podcast on Patreon. So I'll upload that later today as a reward for the patrons who are in the group. If you want to support the podcast on Patreon, there are lots of different levels you can sign up to. You can donate any uh, amount you like, and there are different rewards for each different level. So please take a look at my Patreon page and see if it suits you. Patreon.com forward slash Atomic Hobo. And here is where I thank my new patrons. I had a nice little flurry of new people signing up uh, during the week. Three new people. We've got Rebecca Sullivan, Mark Hillary and Matt Weston. So thank you to all of you for signing up. Remember, it's because of people who donate money to the podcast through Patreon that you don't need to sit through lots of miserable adverts on this podcast. We will never have to suffer adverts, not on the Atomic Hobo. And let me also give a shout out this week to Tom Ian McCulloch. Jonathan Fozard, Henry T. Drummond, J. Butler Moore, Auden Malman, Richard Allam, Runebot, Techno Union Rep, back from WCB, uh, also Luke Guttridge, Martin Harder, Richard Hewitt and Liz. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember you can find me on Twitter at Julie A. McDowell, uh, Facebook Nuclear Britain or on my website juliemcdowell.com and I'll be back next Sunday with another episode.